Welcome, everybody, uh, to the Kona Shane Veterinary Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Andy Rourke. Guys, I am here today with the one and only Dr. Sheila Robertson. She was uh, on the faculty at the University of Florida when I was there. She is board certified in uh, anesthesia and animal welfare in both the USA and in Europe. She is uh, absolutely brilliant and amazing, and she has got some new research out. She is uh, an author on the 2022 ISFM Consensus Guidelines on the Management of acute pain in cats and i wanted to talk to her about acute pain and pain management in cats and man we get into it uh she's super excited about the feline grimace scale and the feline grimace scale app which i was unaware of and so man new tool in my toolbox guys this is a great episode we really get into it later on talking about um the back half of the podcast we get a lot into action steps and what we can be doing in the practices that makes me super happy anyway all around great conversation i hope you enjoy it let's get into this episode this is your show we're glad you're here we want to help you in your veterinary career welcome to the cone of shame with dr andy rourke welcome to the podcast dr sheila robertson thanks for being here oh thanks for inviting me oh i listen in a lot never thought i'd be a guest Oh, yeah, right. You, um, I've known, I've known you, uh, for some time now you were, uh, you were on the faculty at University of Florida when I was there. Um, you were running my anesthesiology or, uh, anesthesia rotation when I went through, and that was the first time I got to spend time with you. I've seen you lecture dozens of times since then, uh, all over the world. You are the senior medical director at Lap of Love Pet Hospice, which is a group that was founded by uh, some of my classmates and yep. dear friends, and they're a great group. And um, gosh, you are you're just everywhere. You're uh, you you work with the Global Pain Council for Wasava, which is the World Small Animal Veterinary Association, and uh, you you publish all over the place. And and that's honestly what I wanted to talk to you about today is an uh, as a study that you have put out uh, with a group of collaborators. It's the uh, 2022 ISFM Consensus Guidelines on the Management of Acute Pain in Cats. And so uh, this just came out in January. I saw you were, uh, I think you were doing some speaking about it at the VMX conference in Orlando. And I, I saw that I think you were on the agenda there talking about it. And um, I am a huge advocate for better care for cats. And I think pain management in cats is something that we have uh that we have not traditionally done as well as we should as a profession. And uh, so I look at this and I say, this is something that, that I would like to understand more. And I wanna always, I'm always checking myself and trying to make sure that I'm practicing good medicine, that I'm, I'm up to, to the current standards and things like that. So um, that is how I know you yeah. and kind of what I wanted to talk to you about today. Yeah, so just so everybody knows what, um, th these are consensus guidelines. Okay. And um, ISFM stands for the International Society of Feline Medicine. So these are um, global. We wanted them to be able to be used around the world where not, you know, access to different drugs and different types of therapy can be very different. So we wanted to make them global. And the group that put them together is Paulo Stigal, originally from Brazil, now working mm -hmm. in Hong Kong, myself, um, Brad Simon, who's at Texas um, A&M, and then we have uh, Leon Warren from, um, from Australia was on them, and then Yale um, Shiloh Benjamini, she is um, actually based in Israel, did her training here in the US, and then Sam Taylor, who is a specialist internal medicine and feline person in the UK. 
So we got that group together and decided that it was time to really focus on cats and give them uh, an entire like paper to themselves, not kind of tagged on to the back of a dog paper. So these are all completely feline-only acute pain management guidelines. So, so let's just start, let's start at a high level. What are the objectives of the guidelines when you set out? So what were you trying to accomplish when you guys went to work on this? Yeah, well, so it almost like, <laughs> I can tell that you must have read them because one of the um, opening statements says, pain has traditionally been under-recognized in cats. And obviously, if you under-recognize it, that by default means it's under-treated, right? right? So, and we also know that pain assessment tools aren't widely implemented. And so cats are very different from dogs. I mean, cats are, you know, so good at hiding everything from people and they're not, they're not, they're not as demonstrative when they're in trouble. And we know that from other diseases. And so we wanted to raise awareness of the fact that they, you know, will be as painful as dogs after the same types of procedures or trauma. But there's lots of data to show that they're not treated as um, as well. You know, people are like, oh, I'm afraid to give a cat this because they have u- unique metabolism compared to dogs as well. So the objective was to really um, like let, let people know that there are some very easy to use pain recognition tools out there that are now apps on, that you can put on a smartphone and what what does pain look like and once you you know know what it looks like you can actually score it because my philosophy is that we have an outcome measure for just about everything we do right say right. a cat comes in with a fever like a very high temperature so you can't try and figure out what's causing it you treat it but your resolution is the temperature comes down, right? Right. If they're diabetic, we follow their blood glucose. If they're, you know, have renal disease, we follow their, you know, blood work or SDMA. So what's the out- what are people using as an outcome measure to say that they treated pain effectively? Yeah. It's, Other it's than I just think little. the cat looks better. Right. Or Or the cat seems more fractious and anxious next time it comes in and you think, oh, well, maybe we didn't do as good a job last time as we could have. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, there, we spent quite a bit of time putting in really nice um, real-life images that each of us, you know, had of what feline pain looks like and how to, you know, examine a cat and recognize pain. And we did quite a lot on talking about the feline grimace scale, yeah, which is like, which I, I like for a lot of quick assessments because it's basically you look at the face and they're scored from zero to 10. Now that is now an app that can be downloaded on a smartphone. And yeah, it's, you know, is that the app store and everybody in the world has a smartphone. So you can download that app and use it cage side to start scoring, you know, like you look at the pictures and you score their facial expression and it can tell you. And then if you instigate treatment, if you chose the right drug and did the right thing and, you know, things are better, the score goes down. Right. Yeah. 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 I'll put um, I'll put links to the to the app and also to the to the paper in the in the show notes so people can grab it. So how 
how how widespread do you think that monitoring of, of pain in feline patients is in vet practices? Do you see practices that are doing good monitoring uh, sort of patient care? And you know, we 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 I think a lot of us do a good job of of recording hydration status, recording temperatures, you know, coming through and just check on general well being. Uh, you know, are we are are do our, do our patients have food? Do they have water? Things like that. Um, do you see a lot of practices that are doing an adequate, I'm just going to set the bar adequate. Do you see practices that are doing an adequate uh, job of, of pain monitoring? So I would say a lot of people are using um, good um, protocols, but they're not actually assessing how effective their protocols are. There was a paper just published very recently from you know a large number of veterinarians, and it was based in Australia, and only 15% actually use a validated pain tool to assess pain in their patient population. Right. So they're just doing it based on, well, I know if the cat is okay or not, right? It's not. It's almost like you look at the cat and you guess that its temperature is okay, but you don't actually take the temperature. Right. No, that make that 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 definitely makes sense. Do you um do you see good systems uh, that people put in place? When, when, in your mind, when you see this, is this something that is hospital wide? Is this uh, support staff technicians that are going by and sort of checking on this? Is it doctors? Uh, how how sort of frequent in your mind is a monitoring system like this? Uh, check in on the patient. Is this an, an hourly check post-surgery? Uh, help, help me dig into the specifics a little bit. I, I guess what I'm trying to do is really imagine this in my practice and what it could look like. So when I was working in um, referral practice, so university practices, so we were getting you know pretty complex cases. And basically my wing men and women are the anesthesia technicians, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that we need to empower technicians a lot more than we do. Because if you think of yourself every day, Andy, you're probably in the surgery room or your surgeons are in the surgery room doing surgery. Like the anesthesia techs, you know, admit the cat, it has an exam by a doctor mm -hmm. and they often examine it. You check it over, you decide on a protocol, they get it ready. So they've, they've spent more time with the cat than you. So they know its personality, how it reacted to things. And then they take it to recovery. And they're they really are the advocate for that cat because they know how it was behaving before. And obviously, if it's now it's still nice and friendly and wants to play, everything went well. But if it's not, they could come to you and say, you know, I don't think this cat is, you know, doing very well. And you might say, well, that's your opinion. Let me look. And mm -hmm. so, if you have a validated pain scoring tool, it's no longer someone's opinion, right? It's like, well, here's the temperature and here's it's on blood glucose level. Here's its pain score. So it gives them, you know, a lot more to um, to advocate with and for everyone to focus on trying to get that score down. And I think that's it is important because it empowers them. And there is a lot of what I, I know. I have pictures that I sometimes show. Like when mm -hmm. I go and visit hospitals, I will see notices on the front of a cat's cage and it says, um, will bite. And I'm like, yeah, uh, why? It, does it bite because it's painful? And if I ask, they go, no, it's just an evil cat. And I'm <laughs> like, well, maybe it's very anxious. Maybe it's very afraid. Maybe it's very painful. So there is a lot of labeling and bias goes yeah. on and then people call it you know like the diva cat like it'll it'll flinch if you just touch it but 
to the cat, that pain is real and it will escalate with each visit if we don't do the right things. And then we can talk later about the connection between fear and anxiety and pain, because that's more of a connection than we ever thought. Yeah. So so let's let's go ahead and start to unpack that a little bit, because so I, I 100% resonate with what you're saying about, you know, oh, we'll bite. It's just it's a bad cat. Uh, she's she's evil. Diagnosis evil. Um, why why do you think that why do you think that we don't commonly make that distinction? Is it is it a lack of of knowledge on our part? Is it a lack of understanding on anxiety, behavior, stress, things like that? Like why don't we do a better job of of understanding you sort of why we get the reactions that we do from cats? Uh, I mean, I think it is that we're all we're moving in the right direction. And of course, there's been a huge initiative for feline friendly, um, cat friendly practices. You know, lots of people understand how difficult it is, you know, to get a cat in a carrier and then drive it. You know, a lot of them are motion sick and people don't realize that. And yet there's drugs we could give them to make them feel better. You know, they could be dispensed with antiemetics before their next visit. And then a lot of people are using gabapentin to make them, um, you know, sedate them. But remember, that's an anti-anxiety drug as as well. And I think, you know, cats are, you know, they don't like change. But the biggest thing is they get very, very stressed when they don't have control over their environment. Um, and, and they don't get the same, I think, reassurance from having the owner there. Like a dog, you know, is with its owner and, you know, it obeys commands. And, you know, but I know we have bad, difficult dogs to deal with. Sure. And, but I think it's m- more common in the cat. But the cat really does not like a new environment. And that new environment is extremely threatening to them when they don't have control. And the control they have in most threatening environments is escape. Right. And they don't have that at your clinic. And then if they don't um, live or haven't been exposed to dogs and there's dogs barking and dog smell, that's very distressing to them. So certainly understanding what uh, anxious, fearful cat looks like and what a painful cat looks like is important. But often they're both. They can be painful and anxious and fearful. And we should be, all of that's aversive and unpleasant. So we need to deal with all of it. Yeah. So it sounds more like a holistic kind of generalized mm-hmm. approach as far as low stress handling, how, how we're housing cats, things like that. All right, guys, I just want to jump in here with a couple quick updates. First of all, the Uncharted Veterinary Conference was last week in uh, Greenville, South Carolina. It was amazing. We will have a virtual conference uh, in the back half of this year. It'll be in October. It is our GSD for Get Stuff done shorthanded. That's right. Get Stuff Done Shorthanded is going to be a virtual conference, which means you can join it anywhere. It will be in October. More details coming soon. Registration is not yet open, but go ahead and get fired up. This is a great way to see what Uncharted is all about. See, is it really different from everything else like people say it is? Uh, Yeah, you can come and see just how that works online. And then uh, if you love it, we'll see you in person April next year in Greenville, South Carolina. Uh, Or if you're a practice owner, we'll see you in person in December for our practice owner. Summit. Gang, if you can't wait that long, and you know you can't wait that long, we have a couple of workshops coming up. We have Retain Your Team. Speak the languages of appreciation in your workplace. That is with Dr. Tracy Sands. It is on May 21st. It is all about showing your team appreciation. You know they're tired. You know they're overwhelmed. You know that they want to feel appreciated for their work. 
Are you doing it right? Are you showing them appreciation? There are simple things that you can do that really make a difference. Guys, this is, as I said, May 21st, 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific time. It is $99 to the public. It is free for Uncharted members. Jump on, uh, get registered, come and be there. This one is actually already filling up. It's a month away and there's uh, the spots are, are largely taken. So jump in there and grab a spot while you can. On June the 8th, my friend, Bill Schroeder, uh, founder and CEO of InTouch Veterinary communications is doing his workshop creating content that clients crave this is all about making uh information in a way that clients will want to consume it if you're uh tired of trying to educate in the exam room if you want some backup if you want some help if you're like i don't have enough time to communicate everything i need to communicate jump in on this webinar uh or what's not it's a workshop you're actually going to work on the thing that's the difference in a workshop and a webinar we do the thing in uncharted june the 8th 7 p.m eastern 4 p.m pacific time this is 99 to the public free for uncharted members you can hit the link in the show notes and get registered for that as well guys that's enough from me let's get back into this episode What do you think are, are are the keys for sort of implementing this in practices? Like, what what are the uh, from the things that you see? What are the um what are the most important changes to sort of make to try to get practices up, sort of up to speed? Are, are there are there are there approaches that seem to be particularly successful in getting the team on board, um and, and actually making changes? Well, I think um you know the AAFP has some very very good um courses that anyone can take. I mean, from veterinarians technicians and nurses all the way down to anybody that even works in your clinic and at very reasonable cost can be, you know, get certified or take a training course in cat, you know, how to handle cats and recognize, you know, what they're likely to do. So I think the feline friendly practice program is uh, phenomenal and it's um, coming up on its 10 year anniversary this year. And I think that's made a huge difference to how we understand cats and allows people to work through learning about those things. I think we all understand like the exam room should be a little bit different, you know, using pheromones um, to calm animals or cats down. Owners can have a Feliway wipe to, you know, in the carrier before they even come. Um, and, and again, the doing a cat exam it's just like you know you you can do a little bit then you just give them you know you can't force it right you just got to take yeah. your take your time and i think the pre visit gabapentin which is what most people use some use trazodone but i think the pre visit gabapentin has been very very successful for a lot of people yeah yeah that's a trend i definitely would like to see continue to spread yeah. i i'm amazed at, at how many practices do not have pre-visit, you know, gabapentin or, or other uh, sedative anti-anxiety medicine pickup. It's just, it's such a, it's such an easy trick and the pet owners appreciate it. And it, uh, it makes such a difference when people come in. Yeah. And, and the, the stress itself can actually make, make you make a wrong diagnosis, right? They're, they're mm. hypertensive, but they're not really. It's white coat hypertension. Their blood glucose is through the roof because they're so stressed out, you know, and, and yet, you know, that could lead you down the wrong path with a diagnosis. Yeah. What's, um, what do you see as the biggest, uh, 
pushbacks that people run into as they start to improve their uh, their feline patient monitoring, things like that? Where where are the pain points? Say say that I wanted to uh, to advance this in my own practice as a veterinarian. Uh, where do people run into roadblocks? Um, I I'll be honest. I think a lot of people say, well, we know what a comfortable cat looks like, and I don't actually, I, I thought I did until I, I mean, years and years ago, started creating the Glasgow acute pain, um, you know, and validate that scale, which is more than just the face, the face is included, but it's also palpation and so on. And I think what has been overlooked, like if a cat is sitting at the back of the cage, quiet and not moving, people have assumed it's okay. And that's actually, that's the cat that I would now look at. That would be a red flag because they often aren't, mm-hmm. they're at the back of the cage because they're trying to hide and they haven't been given a safe place to hide because that's one of their coping mechanisms, right? They don't have a box to hide in and they're not moving because they're painful and they're not doing normal behaviors like getting up and having a nice stretch because their incision on their abdomen really hurts or they're not grooming themselves because they hurt. And then pain can make them nauseous as well. And then they don't want to eat in your clinic. I mean, a lot of them are just very, you know, like they're suspicious of, of everything mm-hmm. at the clinic. Um, but if we use pheromones in their cage and we do what's called um, spot cleaning, which I learned from doing shelter work, is that if it's their own cage and they've they'll they will have taken the time to mark it and put their, you know, cheek pheromones on it. All you need to do when you tidy up is just take out anything that's soiled, leave everything else because they've marked it and, you know, they've said, this is my safe place. So all I ever do now is like clean up totally soiled articles in in a cat cage um, and then give them a new towel that has been sprayed and left to air for 15 minutes with Feliway to put it in for security. Um, And again, noise um, and partially covering the cage. And having the staff all know how to approach a cat, um, that not every interaction with a cat at a clinic should be for something to be done. I actually advise people when a cat is staying for several days that you should prescribe non-medical treatment. So the cat doesn't anticipate that every time someone's at the front of the cage, it's going to be a pill. It's going to be, they're going to do something to you. And we have good data from, again, from shelter medicine showing that if you come up to the cage and just um, stroke the cat, pet the cat, um, and just have a, a, a safe interaction with it that doesn't involve anything, you know, unpleasant, then mm-hmm. everything's much, much better. And it, it would take five minutes extra each day for, or you could have volunteers, obviously, that know yes. that they're going to not get hurt, um, open up and just speak to the cat and stroke it or get out a brush and brush it to help it. Because even that in itself releases endorphins and it is a good thing to do. But every single interaction usually is a medical interaction and they become and they anticipate it, right? Yeah. Um, yeah I that would makes... too. I would. Oh, yeah, it's absolutely. Like... <laughs> yeah. Sure. Every it... time the door opens, something bad happens and I get poked with a needle or, or, or grabbed by my neck or whatever. Like, yeah, exactly. It, it doesn't, that doesn't take long to leave a, a lasting impression yeah. about what's yeah. going to happen. So this not, this like 
positive reinforcement that nothing bad's going to happen. You know, I'm going to groom you or I'm going to give you just a little bit of, um, you know, really super nutritious food, like a little piece of, you know, the tubes of churu, which all the cats love. And they're like, oh, OK, that was OK. And then, you know, it was a predictable, positive interaction. And I think they need, they need more of that. And I know everybody is busy. Um and then to have the time to do that before a treatment and then immediately after a treatment as well, if they're getting an injection or something's being done, um, would, I think, help a lot. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, everybody's busy at the same time. I mean, what are the benefits to uh, to patient care? What are the benefits yeah. to um, reducing risk of, you know, of cat bites and things like that by creating a better yeah. experience? Well, yeah, things. I mean, there is good data to show that um, feline-friendly trained practices have a lower um, incidence of bite. Inc- well, fewer people in the practice have a cat bite. And you know, that can take someone out for days, right? They're, if they're a surgeon, they're out for days. Very, you know, it's, you know, all has to be reported to HR and it's it's horrible. So we know that cat bites can be um, reduced, you know, when people understand cats. And the other thing is a cat that is being totally defensive, you can't nurse it, right? So, the actual care of the cat is suboptimal. But if they're, you know, very relaxed and feel secure, you can actually nurse them and take care of them. And things like they will want to eat, they're, they won't have GI stasis because they're so fearful, which then in itself, you know, leads to all sorts of other problems. Hypertension, right? Is it real or is it that they're terrified of being in their cage? So there's just so much to understanding normal cat behavior and yeah. how to make it a better experience. No, that's, that's actually, that's really great. That's actually really useful. I, I'm going to, I'm going to sit with that. I like this a lot. Uh, the prescription snuggles. I think, I think that's fantastic. Yep. <laughs> it makes, yeah. makes, it makes me happy. Uh, yeah. Yep. What, uh, let, let's jump back for one second. So, so let's say that, that I have that cat that's just sitting at the back of the cage. So, so I've got a, I've got a patient, uh, they had a, a fairly routine uh, surgical procedure. We're going to say, um, now they're just sitting at the back uh, of the cage and I'm hearing your voice in my mind saying, you know, that cat at the back of the cage, that may be your, your painful, your painful patient. Can you walk me through just step by step? How would you assess pain in, the, in this, in this cat? So you talked about palpation and things like that, but just, just run me through kind of what is your thought process as you're looking through the front of the, of the cage and you see this cat looking back at you from the back? Yeah. So when we assess pain, we have two parts. We do the, um, we observe, we observe them only and we try and do that without them sort of knowing we're there. So not like, not like right in their face, but just kind of have a look at them in the cage. So that's going to let us see like what their um, spontaneous pain behaviors are. Now, a spontaneous pain behavior in a cat is sitting still doing nothing but hunched up. That's a pain behavior. But because it's not like throwing themselves around and wailing like a dog, it's often like ignored as a actual pain behavior. Mm -hmm. And then we have what we call evoked pain behavior. So that's when we have done the observation and then we actually interact and touch the wound. Sometimes that's possible, sometimes it's not. So for the cat that's sitting at the back of the cage, I would be... If I've downloaded, which probably everyone hopefully will do after this podcast, download the feline grimace scale onto my Mm -hmm. iPhone, I'm going to pull it up and I'm going to look at the cat's face and start scoring it. So we look at their ears, we look at their eye position, 
We look at their whiskers. We look at their muzzle because it's called the grimace scale for a reason, right? When you're painful, you kind of go, and when you are a cat, that makes your whiskers move, right? And your your whole, um, you know, jaw and muzzle changes. And then the other thing, um, which isn't actually the face, but it's the position of the head in relation to the cat's shoulders. So cats that are painful will just kind of drop their head down like this. But when Mm -hmm. they're happy, their head is up above their shoulders. So those are the five things that you look at. And each is scored zero, one, or two. So you can have zero for the happiest, you know, I'm, I'm I'm doing great cat. And 10, yikes, you know, something's really wrong. And round about four or five, we would say this cat needs rescued or needs to be looked at. Like what's wrong? Now, the ear positions for pain and stress and fear are similar. Like, so a cat that's very fearful, their ears go kind of flat. And so does a cat in pain. So we need to kind of figure out. And that's why your nurses and technicians know when they come in for an elective procedure, they're very unlikely to be painful, right? So you do a baseline score. Now, a baseline cat could score two for flat ears because it's afraid. So what we're looking at is differences in that score after the only thing you did before and after is do the surgery, right? So you're looking for the the pain scale or their score not to go up. You're looking for it to stay the same. Maybe the flat ears, I'm still a little anxious, but Mm -hmm. not to go up. And if you take care of anxiety, it'll go down, right? It'll be even better, (laughs) Right. Um, If you take care of that. So that would be the first thing is look at their face and then we look at posture. And um, but I think people are finding the feline grimace scale does correlate well with the Glasgow acute scale, which takes a little longer to do because then you interact with the cat. Like why, you know, you you touch it and stroke it. Does it like, you know, does it do the usual greet you? Does it not want to let you near it? Because that's a bad sign. Do you touch the, you know, hold their head gently, touch the, um, you should be able to touch around and palpate a wound gently if your pain management is adequate or good um, without them trying to turn around and nail you. They may, you know, flinch a little bit. um, But, and it also helps you like look and see if your protocols are working most of the time. And what I can do, even at feral cat clinics, I can go into one of those clinics, do the facial um, scale and show that their protocol works for most cats, like 96%, but uh-huh. there'll always be a few that fall between the cracks, even with the same protocol. And that's genetics. Um, every cat's different. It may have had previous pain. So it may already have come in with chronic pain that we don't know about. And we've added acute pain because we neutered it. Uh-huh. Um, so there's and if, but if you, if I went into clinic and we're rescuing, you know, 50% of the time, your protocol needs reworked, right? right? Yeah, no, that totally makes sense. Uh, that all of it, that makes sense. I, I, I love the idea of a baseline score and like, it's yeah. so simple and it makes a ton of sense. And it, it simply didn't occur to me to do a baseline pain score on yep. a cat. You go, well, you just came from home. Like the baseline score is going to be zero. Well, no, yep. we need to start looking yep. at signs and of the, stress. And the great thing about, if you want to talk about continue, can continuity of care when they go home before the owner leaves they can download the feline grim scale app onto their phone right or you can give them as part of their like here before you know they could even do it at the home before they leave 
right, to come in, score their cat, and then they can be monitoring the cat at home after a surgical procedure. And, you know, they can, you can say, well, you know, if you, if you score them with this app and their score goes back up to seven, you need to call us. Um, yeah. And it could be that the cat is getting more painful. Often it's like, well, you gave me those meds, but I can't get her to take them. Right. And that's why she's painful. So it helps with um, the continue continuation of care at home. Yeah. And so the app is uh, is approachable for pet owners. Yeah, it's it's free. It's uh, one of the um, n- number one medical download apps at the moment. Um, and it's for Apple and for the other um, is iOS Android, and, yeah. and Android. Yep. Yeah. So and it's free. Yeah. Perfect. Well, that's awesome. Um, I, I'm going to put a link uh, down in the show notes. Uh, I'm going to link to the study so that people can download and have that as well. I'll put a link to the AAFP courses for feline handling. Um, yep. Are there any other resources that you would recommend for my cat warriors who want to make sure they're doing good pain control and learning what they can uh, to be the best advocates for our feline patients? Yeah, well, the good thing about the feline grimace score, other than the app, they have their own website. And so and it's now the actual um, tool is in multiple different languages. So it's in Spanish. It's in lots of different languages because a lot of us have clients or people in our practice that, you know, English isn't their first language. So that's very positive. And then the other thing in there, they're upgrading it more and more. So the, the really good thing about the feline grimace scale or tool is that there is the app, but there's their own website and if you go to their website it's like felinegrimmascale.com you can um, get it in multiple different languages the scale it's in spanish it's in portuguese it's in multiple french and so on and on that website they're updating it all the time what you can do or your staff can do is you can go in and score a cat and see how you compare to an expert that has scored that That's cool. cat. So they're up, they're doing it as a training center, right? You can go in, test yourself. Can I actually score a cat? And um, the, the answer is after a few minutes of training, owners can score a cat's facial expression, whether it's painful That's or not. Awesome. That sounds yep. like such a fun thing to do with a team, you know, to, to say, we're going to do this together. And everybody gets to do their scores, and then we're going to see what the what the uh, what the experts came back at. That's really cool. Yep. And then what I would remind people is, if you have um, a clipboard or you have an electronic, whatever you do for your post op monitoring, you put you know you're probably going to put like how much fluid they've had or still having, um, if they ate, what their temperature is, what their pulse respiration is. Just add a line and put feline grimace score. What was it? Yeah. That's right? awesome. I really appreciate it. That's, this has been wonderful. Thanks so much for, uh, thanks for all that you do uh, for our patients. Thanks for taking time to be with us. Thanks yep. for all the research, resources. Like I said, I'll link those down in the show notes. Um, I really appreciate you. Thank you for doing this. Well, and I'm going to thank you for getting it out to the masses because that's what we need. It's the getting it out there. I mean, and getting people just to say, yeah, wow, this is kind of cool. And like I always have said, um, empowering our technicians and nurses that work with yeah. us, our support staff, because they're with the patient more than we are yeah, usually. I completely agree. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, guys. Uh, take care, everybody. Thank you. 
And that is our episode, guys. That's what I got for you. I hope you didn't enjoy it. I hope you got something out of it. Uh, if you did, the kindest thing you can do for me is go and leave an honest review wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, if you didn't enjoy it, then the kindest thing you can do is just not leave a review until next week when we have a whole new episode that you might like. And then if you do like it, then you can go leave an honest review. And that would be great as well. So guys, that's all I got. Take care of yourselves. Be well. I'll talk to you soon. 